You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. As you came to church today, what did you come for? Well, I came with a neighbor, I came with a friend. May we take it out of autopilot, if you will, and may we actually remember what we came here for. We came here to know God, to worship him, to take on his ways and to learn of him. And so may that happen to us now as we study his word. Genesis 43, here's this epic story. We got a lot of scripture to cover today. So uh, there's no place for a commercial break in this story, right? So we got a lot of, a lot of scripture to cover today. Uh, chapter 43, now the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain, which they had uh, brought uh, from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back and buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, the man solemnly warned us, saying, who's the man he's talking about? They don't know it's Joseph, but it's Joseph. He's sitting at the right hand of power. He solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, dad, we'll go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? What'd you tell him that for, you knuckleheads? (laughs) But they said, dad, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down. Dad, what do you think? Like, we're clairvoyant? You think we, I mean, it just happened, Dad, right? Like, uh, verse 8. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Dad, send the lad with me. Send Benjamin with me. And we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Dad, we're starving to death. We need food. Our kids need food. Both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him, for Benjamin. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we could have returned this second time. Dad, we're out of food. We're starving. We're all going to die. Simeon is still in prison. If we hadn't been waiting, if you would have just sent me a while ago with Benjamin, we could have had the food back and and Simeon back and everything. We could have been back here by now. So that made sense to, uh, to Israel. And so verse 11, their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry them down as a, pe- a present for the man. A little balm, a little honey, spices, Myrrh, pistachio nuts, I love pistachio nuts, and almonds. Uh, Costco has great pistachio nuts, by the way. Uh, What is Israel doing here? Uh, 
we see Israel, Jacob, he has some wisdom. He says, hey, listen, don't go empty-handed. Come, come with what? Come with some gifts. Come with some gifts. Uh, that is really wise, by the way. Uh, do you know it was Jesus who said in Luke chapter 16, Jesus said, make friends for yourself with unrighteous mammon. That's Jesus' words. And you say, hey, that's great, but I don't know what unrighteous mammon is. Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, mammon means money. So a loose paraphrase is Jesus saying, make friends for yourselves with filthy money. Uh, buy gifts for people. Uh, be generous. Uh, do you realize that God has given you all these things and, and use them to bless others? Be a generous person. Uh, you know, bring muffins over to your neighbor. Uh, your neighbor, you'll have a good relationship with your neighbor. Uh, bring, bring a gift to someone that you, you, know, you just work with or whatever. To, this, this is just God's way. Uh, a verse for you, by the way, Proverbs 17. Um, let me hear you read this. It was a unified thundering voice. A gift is like a precious stone of grace in the eyes of him that receives it. Whoever gives shall prosper. This is just good wisdom. And God, Jesus would say, it's better to give than receive. Uh, Jesus said, give, and it'll be given back to you, pressed down and overflowing. And, and so here we see uh, Israel is wise. He says, hey, don't go empty-handed. Take some gifts. Look at verse 12. Take double money in your hand. And take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. He says, hey, not only take these gifts, but I want you to take double money. I want you to go back and I want you to say, hey, last time we came here to buy grain, the money was returned to us. Uh, we want to give it back to you. And we also want to buy more grain. So here's some more money. Uh, very wise of, of Israel there. Verse 13. Uh, take your brother Benjamin also and arise and go back to the man. Who's the, who's the man? Joseph. They don't know this, but it's Joseph, right? And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother, poor Simeon, right? And Benjamin. And if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the present and Benjamin and they took double money in their hand. And they arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. Big trip down there. They finally get there, and they're standing before Joseph. And look at this. And Joseph saw Benjamin with them. And he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Joseph sees his brother Benjamin, and he's moved with compassion. And he says, oh, I want to have dinner with these guys in my house. Kill the fatted calf. Uh, we're going to prepare a big meal. Uh, verse 17. Then the men did as Joseph ordered. And the man, that's the servant of Joseph, brought the men, that's the brothers, into Joseph's house. Now the men, that's the brothers, were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. They're thinking, what the heck? We're going into the king of Egypt's house? Why? Why does he want us in our house? And look what they thought. 
And they said, it must be because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we were brought, brought into his house so that he may make a case against us, seize us, and take us as slaves with our donkeys. Wow, so the brothers are trembling, aren't they? They're just terrified. Uh, they've been called into this Egyptian ruler's house, and they can't figure out why in the world the king of Egypt would want to take us into his house. He must want to make us his slaves because he thinks we stole from him. So they're trembling, right? Uh, uh, notice what they say. Not only is he going to make us slaves, he's also going to take our donkeys. Isn't it interesting how our stuff is so important to us? <laughs> like, who gives a rip about your donkeys, right? I mean, but you know what? Isn't that crazy that we're that way? We're so worried about our stuff. And here, that's where they're at. They're like, uh, you know, man, he's going to take us. And notice this. Uh, Joseph woke up that, that morning not having any idea his brothers would be coming in. It was just another day for Joseph. And Joseph wakes up that morning, and then his servant comes to him and says, Hey, your brothers are here. Uh, these guys are here. And Joseph has this plan instantly in his head. How does he know what to do? How does he come up with this plan so quickly? And we're going to see this is quite a comprehensive plan that Joseph has on his heart. And my question to you is, how does this happen? How does Joseph know instantly what to do when his brothers show up unannounced that morning? Well, the answer is very insightful for us to grab hold of. Joseph has been prayerfully planning for reconciliation. It has been his prayer every single day. He brings it before the Lord continually. And because he has been prayerfully planning for reconciliation, when the opportunity for reconciliation arrives, he's ready. And he has a plan. I want you to know the reason he's ready and the reason is he has a plan is because he knows the heart of God. He knows that God wants him to reconcile. He's in tune with what God wants. Uh, I want you to know the natural man doesn't think this way. The natural man, what do you mean natural man? I'm talking about the man, the woman who doesn't walk with God, who doesn't study God's word, who doesn't have a relationship with God. The natural man doesn't plan for reconciliation. He doesn't seek it. He doesn't meditate upon it. He doesn't try to go make it happen. And therefore, when the opportunity to reconcile comes, the natural man is not ready. And he misses that opportunity. He's walking in the grocery store. She's walking in the grocery store. He goes, hey, I got to get some uh, tri-tip. And he's going down aisle three to get the tri-tip. And there's that person that wronged me. And you know what happens? Uh, because they're not prayerfully planning for reconciliation, they see that person in aisle three, and you know what they do? 
and they turn the other way. And what about the tri-tip? <laughs> They're not ready when the opportunity comes because they haven't been in prayerful planning preparation uh, because they're not walking with the Lord. And what happens, what's interesting, in there in aisle three, do you know what happens the moment they see that person? They're flooded with emotions of all the bad emotions of what happened. Oh, there she is. There he is. That person that wronged me. Ooh, I don't want to deal with that right now. I can't handle this right now. You can't handle this right now? Why can't you? That's an indictment on yourself that you can't handle this right now. You should have dealt with that long ago in your heart with the Lord. You should have forgiven in your heart with the Lord. It's not good for you to have that hanging in your life. Joseph has. He's forgiven. He's moved forward. He's ready. He's been prayerfully planning steps of reconciliation so that this moment unannounced his brothers show up and he's not filled with anger and emotion. He's filled with wisdom and discernment. He knows what to do. This is how, who God wants to build. This is how God wants to make us. This is his work in our life. The godly man plans and prepares for these things as Joseph has been and Joseph is ready. And now all of Joseph's brothers, they go to this Egyptian ruler's house and they're terrified. They're thinking, oh my gosh, he's doing this because uh, I think we stole. I think we're in trouble. I think we're all going to be arrested. And they're just terrified. Let's look at what happens. Uh, we left off in verse 19. When they drew near the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him. That's the steward of Joseph's house at the door of the house. Uh, this steward of Joseph, by the way, was a Hebrew translator. Joseph is speaking, uh, on the first time they came to him, to his brothers in Egyptian. And uh, they would hear, blah, 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 blah. And then the translator would say, why'd you guys come here? You know, like, so this is the translator. That's tra the translator comes to him uh, in verse 19. They talk with him at the door. And he says, uh, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of a sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand. Uh, hey, we didn't mean to steal from you. That was never our intent. We paid you, and somehow the money came back in our sacks. Verse 22. And we have brought down more money, other money in our hands to buy food. So we want to give you the money that we didn't pay last time. And we want to give you more money uh, we weren't trying to steal from you. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. But he said, peace be with you. And he's speaking in Hebrew. So guess what word he just said? Shalom. And notice these words. Shalom. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father. If you have been with us, you know the God of your father is a biblical term for the Abrahamic covenant. This covenant that God made with Abraham. How does this servant of Joseph know about the Abrahamic covenant? Joseph has been witnessing to this, witnessing to this Hebrew speaking servant of his. And we don't know for sure, but this might be an indication that he is a believer now in the Abrahamic covenant and the God of the Bible. 
uh, your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. So he brought Simeon out to them. Uh, he says, hey, listen, I didn't want your money. Everything's good. You're not in trouble because of that. So now they're really confused. Well, then why are we in the king's house? And this servant, this Hebrew-speaking servant of Joseph's, brings out Simeon. What do you think Simeon says when he finally sees his brothers? <laughs> Woo! Where have you been? What took you so long? Man, what'd you leave me here all this time? Uh, it may have been like a year or more that Simeon had been left there. He's like, I thought you guys were never coming back. What the heck, right? Glad to see you. Verse 24. So the man brought the men, that's the servant of the house, brought the men, the brothers, into Joseph's house, gave them water, and washed their feet, and gave their donkeys feed. Some very warm hospitality to these uh, 11 brothers, right? Uh, then they made the presents ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. They heard, oh, he's coming to eat with us? Oh my gosh. Get the pistachios ready. <laughs> put them this way. Set them on the table like they look good like this. Yeah, put the honey behind. No, 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 no. Put the honey in front. No, no, no. And they're just trying to make this be the best presentation they can possibly give, right? Verse 26. Now, when Joseph came home, they brought him the present that was in their hand into the house. And they bowed down before him to the earth. What do you think Joseph thought right there? Wow. I remember this dream I had when I was 17 years old. Think about how much time has passed. Joseph was, went from prison to the throne at 30 years of age. And then there were seven years of prosperity and now two years of famine. Joseph is now 39 years old. He was 17 when he told his brothers that dream. It's been 22 years old. And now he sees his brothers there before him, bowing down. And he goes, God, you're amazing. God, you're sovereign over all things. God, you foretold all this would happen. Who is like you? Joseph must just be blown away as he sees his brothers bowing down right there. Verse 27, then he asked about the, their, their well-being and he's speaking to them in Egyptian and then the translator, all they hear is blah, 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 blah and then the translator speaks to them in Hebrew and here's what he asks. Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And what must have Joseph's brothers thought, Right? This guy is weird. <laughs> you know, we hear blah, 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 blah in Egyptian. And then the translator says, hey, welcome to my home. How are you? How are you guys doing? Is your father well? And, and these, they're going like, who is this guy? <laughs> Inviting us into her house and asking about our dad. Well, strange. Verse 28. And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He's still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Now can we please leave, right? Like, can we get out of here? Then he lifted his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. You'll remember that is the only son that came from Rachel, uh, Joseph and Benjamin, uh, the only two sons that Rachel had. Jacob loved, Israel loved Rachel. 
He was the only wife he wanted. He worked for her for seven years, and then his father-in-law switched and gave him Lee instead. He never wanted... Rachel was the love of his life. And so Benjamin is his only true biological brother, and he sees Benjamin there, uh, and he hasn't seen him for 22 years, right? Benjamin was just a boy, just a boy last time he saw him. And... uh, uh, He lifts up his eyes and he saws his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. He said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. Think of it. Joseph was 17 when he saw him last time. Benjamin was probably just seven years old, right? Eight years old, just a young boy. And now he's a grown man, uh, has a wife and children, and, and Joseph hasn't seen him in all these times. So his heart yearned for his brother, and Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep, and he wept, and he went into his chain, chamber, and he wept there. Uh, five times the Bible is going to tell us that Joseph is overwhelmed with emotion. He sees his young brother Benjamin, and he just can't contain it, and he goes off and says, excuse me for a moment, speaks in Egyptian, and goes off into the room and just breaks down in tears. Verse 31, then he washed his face and he came out and he restrained himself. Interesting. What is Joseph not letting lead him? Emotion. And he's allowing wisdom to lead him. Pay attention, Christian. Uh, And he restrains himself and he comes out and he says, serve the bread, serve the meal, says it in Egyptian. So they set him a place by himself, <clears throat> and them by themselves, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. I want you to know this kind of statement in the Bible, the Bible goes out on a great limb right here. By making this kind of statement, that is... Uh, suicide if this isn't true, if history doesn't prove this to be true. Uh, And you know what? Archaeology actually reveals Egyptian art clearly portrays that the Egyptians would have uh, no relations with the Semites. They thought they were dirty and they and the egyptians love cleanliness you know they shaved and that's why they shaved their eyebrows off and all that kind of they they were into cleanliness and so uh, egyptian art has, has portrayed this to be exactly true as a matter of fact there's a uh, there's a uh, egyptian artifact an art artwork that shows uh these semites as inferior to the egyptians and sitting at the footstool of the egyptians in this artwork showing that this separation so again the bible uh, not a, intended to be a history book, but incredibly accurate historically. Uh, verse 33. <clears throat> and so they sat before him, Joseph, the firstborn, Reuben, according to his birthright, and the youngest, according to his youth. Uh, what just happened there? They all set them up at dinner. They go in to sit down at dinner, and, the, <clears throat> and all the uh, brothers are sat with Joseph. And they're sat in what kind of order? Chronological Chronological order from firstborn all the way down to Benjamin. Every single one in the exact order. And look at this. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. 
How in the world did he know? Uh, go to our, uh, our young adult college ministry and pick 11 people randomly and put them in order by birthright. Good luck, right? Uh, the odds are over one in a million that you could do this. And so they must be thinking, how does this guy know? He has divination powers or something. I mean, like, they're looking at each other just in astonishment that they're in the right birth order. Uh, Verse 34, then he, uh, that's Joseph, took the servings to them before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. Why? Why? Here's why Joseph has a plan. He's not being silly. He's trying to do something. You see, why did Joseph's brothers hate him? Because they were jealous. They were jealous of what? That he was the favorite son of their father. That he got the coat of many colors, the coat of inheritance. That he had all this favor from his, from his dad. And so what does Joseph do now? He dumps all this favor on Benjamin. Why? Well, because Benjamin is, Benjamin is now dad's favorite. Now that dad thinks Joseph is dead, Benjamin is now dad's favorite. And so Joseph dumps all this favor on the boy. On the boy. Why? Why? To see if his brothers get jealous over, right? Very wise plan, right? So five times more mashed potatoes than everybody else, right? Five times more steak than everybody else. Uh, So verse 34, so he took the servings from them, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. In other words, they were polite, uh, nervous, but polite, and they had a lunch. Uh, Still don't know that it's Joseph. Chapter 44, and he commanded the steward of his house, saying, fill the men's sacks with food. Give them all the grain they want, as much as they can carry. Just load them up, give them extra sacks. I mean, just blow their minds by how much you're giving them. And put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Interesting. Look at verse 2. And also, pay attention, put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, Benjamin, and his grain money. So he, the servant, did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as morning dawned, the men, the brothers, were sent away, they and their donkeys. And I bet they were glad to get out of there, don't don't you? They're like, woo, we thought we were going to be slaves. And they're happy going home, right? They're like thrilled right now. We got grain, we got Simeon back, we're all together. We're not, gosh, I thought he was going to take us. And they're telling the stories as they're, trottling home on their their donkeys. Uh, Verse 4. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to a steward, get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Or in other words, why did you steal my master's silver cup? He blessed you with an abundance of grain, and you're starving. He took you into his house, fed you a meal, gave you everything, and now you steal from him? Verse 5. 
Is this not the one, the cup from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? Uh, that was a, a tradition in Egypt. Joseph didn't actually do this. He's just having the story tell him this. Uh, you have done evil in so doing. And you have to ask yourself as we read this, Joseph, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I mean, here you set them up and you put this cup in Benjamin's sack and now you're going to go give him a hard time. What is Joseph doing? Well, can I tell you what Joseph is doing? He is endeavoring to intimately know his brothers. Endeavoring to intimately know his brothers. Why did he give Joseph, excuse me, why did he give Benjamin five times the heaping of mashed potatoes and every portion that came around five times as much? Why? Because he wanted to watch the reaction of who? The brothers and he didn't learn everything he needed to learn so he is still working on this plan of reconciliation and Joseph is wisely looking for opportunities to reveal who they really are because it's been 22 years since he's been with them and he wants to know who they are and knowing that Benjamin was dad's favorite son, Joseph just dumps on him extra kindness and, and, and puts this silver cup in his pack and, because Joseph wants to study how they're going to react. What are they going to do? How will they treat Benjamin when the cup is found in his sack? Will they throw him under the bus and say, oh, stinks for you, Benjamin. Sorry, we never liked you anyway. You're getting the double portion of the inheritance. We hope you die. Because that's what they did to who? Joseph. And Joseph wants to see if they still have this sinister character. Or if they have grown in their walk with the Lord. Uh, Joseph is listening. Joseph is watching. Joseph is learning about his brothers. Why does he put them to the test this way? Why does he want to know? Why? Because he wants to know who they really are. And Joseph is using wisdom to find out who his brothers are. Have they grown? Do they have good character? And now let's take it a step further. Why is Joseph doing all of this? I want to let that marinate with you for a second. Why is Joseph doing all of this? Well, here's why. Meaningful relationships require realistic expectations. You cannot have a meaningful relationship without realistic expectations. Let me illustrate for you. Tell a two-year-old to help you do chores... And who's going to be disappointed? <laughs> you have wrong expectations of what a two-year-old can do. You have a two-year-old help you with chores, and it's twice as much work, and you do it, not for your sake, but you do it for their sake. But if you have wrong expectations, you think that two-year-old is actually going to help you take out the trash, you are, you are messed up. And you are not going to have a good relationship with that two-year-old. And I'm not talking about two-year-olds. Physically, I'm talking about two-year-olds in character. Do you understand? 
Joseph needs to know how deep of a relationship can I have with these guys. In order to know that, I have to have realistic expectations about who they are. And in order to know that, I have to listen to them and I have to see, I have to learn who they really are. Joseph is trying to know his brothers. In order to have realistic expectations, we have to know the other person well. Uh, how, how, how much character do they have? Are they trustworthy? This is what Joseph is seeking. Uh, here's what I have seen in my, uh, in my life and in my years as a Christian. Some Christians quit thinking. They check their brains off the moment they see God beginning to move. Notice what Joseph did not do. His brothers show up at his door, and he doesn't go, Oh, my brothers, everything's great. That would be foolish. Joseph would have no idea what kind of relationship he could have with them. Why? Because he doesn't know them. And in order to have an intimate relationship, you have to know the other person. And I see this happen in Christian lives all the time. Maybe a spouse has a, uh, uh, maybe you, uh, someone has a spouse that has a gambling problem. And then that spouse finally comes to realization, oh my gosh, I have a gambling problem. And they come to their spouse, they say, hey honey, I'm so sorry, I have a gambling problem. And then the other spouse says, oh, well good, I'm so glad you recognize that. Everything's good now. No, everything's not good now. You don't get control of the finances. You don't get the checkbook. You don't get the credit cards. You don't get the bank accounts. You need to have realistic expectations of where that person is at before we just move right back in. And I've seen, as I said, Christians typically just get led by emotion. The moment they see God moving and they throw wisdom out the window, don't do that. Joseph doesn't do that. Instead, he stays focused. He doesn't allow emotion to control him. And I want you to know the fact that we get moved by emotion that way is one of the reasons people run right back into the same dysfunctional relationships that caused them all kinds of grief in the first place. With the same bad habits. And the moment reconciliation begins, they go, oh, God, move, praise the Lord. No, no, praise the Lord. You're not there yet. God is moving, praise the Lord. And God is working, praise the Lord. And God has been speaking in your life to give you discernment, praise the Lord. Now walk in it. And don't get over, you know, over spiritual, if you will. Uh, it's, it's very easy to run ahead of God's will with unrealistic expectations. Joseph does not do that. Uh, you know what else is interesting I've noticed about us as humans? We often project the character traits that we want the other person to have onto them. In other words, we project the character traits we want them to have, and we see those traits in them when they're not really there. Uh, let me give you an example. I find I do this, the place where I do this, the, uh, where I have to really guard myself is when I'm interviewing someone to hire someone. Let's say that you're hiring a cook, for example, and you need a cook bad. So someone comes in and they bring you, they sit before you and you say, oh, you're a cook. You just told them what you want to see on them, right? You're a cook. Uh, do you, 
Do you cook spaghetti? Yeah, I've cooked spaghetti. Do you like steak? I love steak. Do you like fine dining? Yes, you're hired. <laughs> what did I just do? I projected all the things I wanted to see on that person on that person. What didn't I do? I didn't take time to learn who that person is so that I could have what? Realistic what? Expectations about how this relationship can work. And here we see Joseph doing that very thing. He is saying, hey, hey, hey I want to learn who they are. I want to have realistic expectations. Uh, for all you girls in here who are courting, I want you to know you should be watching. You should be listening. Why? Because you want to have realistic expectations about what you're getting into. Well, what do you look for? Well, look and see. How does he treat his mom? How does he treat someone who he doesn't know? How does he treat someone who's not important to him? Pay attention because these are revealing. What are they revealing? His character. So you can have realistic expectations about what kind of husband that man will be. Not project on him what you wish he was. I heard someone go, oh. <laughs> uh, hey, young man, if you're courting a woman, watch how she treats the waitress. Watch how she treats the person taking the order at Chick-fil-A. The person at 7-Eleven when you go get a Slurpee or Starbucks or whatever. Why? Because if she complains and nitpicks and treats them poorly, guess what you're going to get? <laughs> Pay attention. Pay attention. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God is showing you all of these things all the time. The problem, we're not what? We're not listening. You say, where does the Bible say that? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> How about Proverbs 1? And two, uh, I could go on and on, but let's read Proverbs 1. Let me hear you read this. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates of the city, she speaks her words. What's that? What does that mean? When you go to Starbucks, guess who's speaking? Wisdom. When you stand by the girl you're going to marry and she orders, wisdom is speaking. You got a business partner. You got, hey, I'm thinking about going into business with this guy. Uh, uh, well, watch how he treats the janitor. Because wisdom is speaking everywhere you go. And you need to know who that person is and you need to know their character in order for you to have Realistic expectations. And without realistic expectations, you will not have a meaningful, good relationship. Just ask someone trying to get a two-year-old to do the chores. Right? You have to have realistic expectations to know the other person. Meaningful relationships require realistic ex expectations. And realistic expectations require us to know the other person. And without them, we set ourselves up for failure and for hurts. Joseph knows what he's doing. Uh, he is very wise here. And this begs another question. How does Joseph 
walk with so much wisdom here? How does he do it? I mean, this is incredibly profound. He wants nothing more but to say, brothers, but he's not led by emotion. He walks with incredible wisdom. How? How? Well, I want you to know Joseph is led by God's word. And you say, wait a minute, let me think about this. This is Genesis. Joseph doesn't even have a Bible. Genesis isn't written yet. Exactly. You have an entire Bible to be led by. Do you know what Joseph is being led by? The word of God revealed to him in that dream. And he is holding on to that truth that God revealed to him. Take a look one more time, if you will. Look at verse 26. Joseph came home and they brought him the present, the pistachios, which was in their hand in the house. And he bowed down before him, excuse me, and they bowed down before him to the earth. Did you see it? Did you catch it? I want you to think about this. Did you see it? Do you know? Who's bowing down before him? How many brethren? Eleven. Who's not bowing down before him? His mother and father. Oh, you see what happens here? Joseph has his brothers come before him. Last time, how many brothers came? Ten. This time, all his brothers are there. Joseph says, oh, Lord, we're getting closer to your will being done. You showed me what your will was. Your will was all of my brothers and my parents here before me. My parents aren't here before me. Lord, I know your work is not yet done. Do you understand? He focuses. Oh, why isn't that slide up there? He focuses on God's word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Realistic expectations, right? <laughs> but by being focused on God's word, Joseph has incredible wisdom on what to do next on every situation he he faces. And church, I want you to know something. You have a ton more of God's word than Joseph ever had. May you use it wisely. What are you meditating on in the morning? The stock market or with the word of God? What are you spending your evenings with? The TV or the word of God? Joseph meditating on the word of God, praying the word of God. Uh, uh, so important. May we be wise. Uh, know this, the word of God is a tremendous resource in your life. It is the word of God that God wants to use to build you, to lead, guide, and direct you, to give you wisdom and discernment. And without it, you will be a fool. There is a way that seems right unto a man. There is a way that makes total sense, perfect understanding to a man. But in the end, it brings death. It is only the word of God that brings us to the place of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 19 would say, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is true, making, uh, uh, making wise the simple. It takes our foolish thoughts and says, no, that's wrong thinking, and brings us into right thinking. We need the word of God for that. 
Joshua was the one who replaced Moses when Moses died. Moses was an amazing leader. How would you like to try to stand in Moses' shoes? How would you like to try to stand in, in Steve Jobs' shoes or in uh, uh, Jeff Bezos' shoes? I mean, it'd be a big shoes to step in, right? And J Joshua finds himself having to step into those shoes, leading three million people. And you know, he says, Joshua says, God, how am I going to do this? How am I, I, I going to have the wisdom to do this? And God answers Joshua, Joshua 1.8. It's on your screens. It's a memory verse for most of us, right? A good memory verse if you don't have it. Read with me. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What's that? Meditate on God's word and you will have wisdom. You'll be prosperous. You'll be successful. A lot of us take this verse, for then you will be prosperous, then you'll have good success. And that's what we memorize. That's what we hold on to. But that's not what it says. It says that comes to the person who has the law not departing from their mouth. They're meditating on it. How often? How often is day and night? Well, what is it right now? Is it day or night? Well, it's one of those so you should be meditating on God's word continually, right? I read it in the morning so I can think on it and meditate on it through the day. Joseph's doing this. Let's go on the rest of the verse. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Who, who? The person who what? Meditates on the word. Joseph, how do you have such wisdom right here on the spot? How do you know what to do? Well, it's because Joseph is focused on God's word. And he knows what to do when the moment comes. Yeah, he, he's, he's got a clear plan. You want to be wise? You want to be discerning? You want to know how to conduct yourself in aisle three? When that person comes down the other way, be meditating on God's word. Learn God's word. Memorize God's word. Meditate on it. It'll speak wisely to you. Joseph has been wise, and now he'll see if his brothers have grown or not. Joseph hasn't been led by emotion. He's been led by the word of God. He knows what God wants him to do. He wants to bring reconciliation, his whole family down. He's working on a plan for that. And now he'll know how deep of a relationship he can have with his brothers because he's, he's learning them. He's studying them. He's watching them. Uh, let's look at this. Uh, we're going to read a big check, chunk of scripture here. Verse 6. So Joseph sends his servant out with those instructions about the cup and everything. Verse 6, so he, the servant, overtook them, the brothers, and he spoke to them, the brothers, with these words, why did you steal, right? Uh, why did you take my master's cup? And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan, the money with which we found in our sacks the first time, if we, if we were going to steal, would we, would we have brought the money back? How could we steal silver and gold from your Lord's house? I mean, we, we didn't do that. Verse 9, with whomever your servant it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. They said, hey, if you find the silver cup in any of our sacks... You can kill them, and we'll all be your slaves. Was that wise? <laughs> that was not wise. 
that was a big vow they just made. What did Jesus say about making vows? Jesus said, don't make vows. Don't speak emotionally. Don't say, oh, I swear to God. Oh, don't do that. Don't say, I swear on my life. Don't do that. Jesus said, let your yes be yes. And let your no be no. Anything more than that is evil. Or in other words, anything more than that, you're making a big mistake. You're going to hurt yourself. Uh, They said a foolish thing right here, uh, but they really didn't think they had it, right? Verse 10. Now he said, uh, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. The servant says, this is what my master said. Whoever has that cup is going to be my slave, and the rest of you can do what? You can go free. Very wise. Very wise. Real test. Uh, Verse 11. Each man speedily led down a sack, each of the brothers, to the ground, and each opened a sack. So he searched, and he began with the oldest, and he left with the youngest, one by one, uh, checking each one's sack. And it's in the youngest, right? And each one, the drama's just building. First sack opened up, not in there. Whoo! Next sack, whoo! Down to the very last one, they get to Benjamin's sack, right? And they open up Benjamin's sack, and it was found, the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkeys and returned to the city, back to Joseph, with hearts as heavy as the bags they are carrying, man. Uh, can you imagine what they're feeling as they go back there? Oh, shoot. And I bet, I went, did you think they all looked at Benjamin like, Benjamin, what are you doing? Why did you steal the cup, Benjamin? I mean, what, what is wrong with you, right? Uh, what must they have been thinking as they are driving back? Verse 14. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. Dun, dun, dun. And he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them in Egyptian, What is this that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination. Didn't you think I would figure this out? He's really milking the Egyptian thing, by the way. He doesn't practice divination. He's just trying to uh, milk this thing to learn who they really are. Uh, Then Judah said, what shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Not the iniquity of stealing the cup. What iniquity is Judah referring to here? Just selling of Joseph. Beating Joseph, leaving him for dead, and then selling him as a slave. Judah's thinking to himself, you know what? I'm guilty of sin. Not of this silver cup, but of this thing I did. What does that show us about sin? Oh, it carries a heavy price in our life. Every time something goes wrong, we think, oh, God's punishing us for that thing we did. This is why we need to be right with Jesus Christ so you can have freedom in life. I never walk around thinking God's trying to punish me for what I did. I walk around going, God, your grace is amazing that you would not punish me for what I did and that you would love me and you want to use me anyway. Uh, Just um, total difference. Life in Christ, so free. Uh, This is what Jesus meant, by the way, when he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden with your guilt. And I will give you rest. Uh, That's what these men need. Um, 
God has found the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he, also with whom the cup is found. You might want to circle those words, by the way. Both we and he. What does that mean? It means they're not throwing their brother Benjamin away. They're standing with him. But he, Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go in peace to your father. This is a real test of their character. Joseph just said in Egyptian through the translator, all you guys can go. Benjamin is going to stay here and be my slave. And if they were jealous of Benjamin, if they were jealous of him getting the double inheritance, if they hated him because he was dad's favorite, what would they have said? Sorry, Benji, we're out of here. Right? Uh, and that's what Joseph was looking for, to see what they would do. Verse 18, then Judah, why Judah? Because Judah had gone to his dad and said, Dad, I'll take care of this, right? Judah came near to, to him, to Joseph, and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing, and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you have a father or a brother? And here... Uh, Judah starts telling him the story of what happened on the first trip when they went and stood before him to get grain. I'll read through this really quickly. And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age his, uh, who is young. His, his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. He loves that little brother that, uh, that we didn't bring. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may see, set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. Why is he telling him all this? Because he can't leave Benjamin. He's telling him this whole story for one purpose, to get Benjamin free, right? Uh, but you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when he went up to your servant, my father, uh, that we told him the words that, that you said. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we can't go back uh, if our youngest brother is not with us. Uh, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Verse 27. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. Who are the two sons? Joseph, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph is hearing all this knowing that his dad is still mourning Joseph. He's learning about his dad's great love for him and hasn't seen him in 22 years. And the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces. Who was torn to pieces? This is the first time Joseph heard the story that his brothers made up, that he was killed by wild animals. Torn to pieces and have not seen him since. And Joseph must just be welling up with emotion. Verse 29 but if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, Benjamin, calamity falls on Benjamin, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Here Joseph learns that his dad is still mourning Joseph's loss, and he can't take more loss in his life because he's still mourning Joseph. Uh, Joseph hearing all this for the first time. Verse 30. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, Israel, and the lad is not with us, 
since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad, Benjamin, is not with us, he will die. And so your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant, this is Judah speaking, Judas is saying, I became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, dad, then I will bear the blame of my father forever. Now, therefore, in light of this sob story, man, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, instead of Benjamin, keep me as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers back home. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad Benjamin is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. My father will die if Benjamin doesn't come back. What just happened right there? Judah says, take me as a slave, take me as a prisoner, take me as the substitutionary atonement for my brother Benjamin and let him go. And what does Joseph think? Oh my gosh, my brothers have character. That's what I've been waiting to see. There it is, selfless leadership, others-centered Real love, laying down your life for the one that you love. Greater love has no man than this. Joseph's heart is elated. Uh, look what happens, verse chapter 45. Uh, there's no good spot for a commercial break, so we gotta go just a little bit farther. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go away from me. And he cries out in Egyptian, Make everyone, he just breaks down in tears right there. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept out loud, so loudly that the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Verse three, then Joseph said to his brothers, for the first time he speaks in Hebrew, and he says, I am Joseph in Hebrew. Suddenly he starts speaking Hebrew and his brothers go, and the first Hebrew words they hear out of his mouth is, I am Joseph. What do you think happened to his brothers? <laughs> I mean, they must have fainted right there. I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him. Their mouths were hitting the floor, for they were dismayed in his presence. They were just in total awe. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near and they must have been nervous. Was he going to smack us? Or is he going to chop our heads off? <laughs> and we, we sold him at 17 years of age. We beat him up. Before that, we treated him horribly every day of our life. And now he is the sovereign power of Egypt. We're dead men. So they came before him and, and, and he says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. And you might want to underline this. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there's still five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity before you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
Brothers, I want you to know this wasn't your doing. This was God's doing. God did this and he raised me up and all of this hardship, I understand why I went through all this hardship in life. It was to save you, to save the promise that God made to Abraham, to save the Jewish people, to save the nation of Israel. Uh, God has done all this. Verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. How gracious, how incredibly gracious. And he has made me a father to the Pharaoh. Joseph says, listen, I, I, I take care of Pharaoh. I'm the Lord of everything. I am the ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says Joseph, your son, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. What's Joseph's ultimate goal? Bring the entire family together, reconciliation, all of them bowing before him, just as God had spoken to him at 17 years of age. Wow. Verse 10, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. Goshen was a fertile land right there in the fertile crescent of, uh, of the Egyptian uh, Delta Nile area right there. Uh, and you shall uh, be near to me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine left. Uh, and, and notice this. Pay attention. Israel's eyes are opened to their savior brother, during the seven, year of seven years of famine, a picture of what God is going to do to the nation Israel. Oh my goodness. Behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see. You're not blind anymore. You now see that I am the Savior. And it is my mouth that speaks to you. Oh my goodness. Uh, how incredible. Uh, you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen that I am sitting on the right hand in power ruling the world and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Uh, can you imagine what they talked about? <clears throat> Joseph, what did you think when we beat you? What did you think when we sold you? And what happened? Oh, you went to Potiphar's house and he tells them, can you imagine the reunion? And look at the incredible grace that Joseph pours upon them. He, they, he could have said, off with their heads. But instead, he just blesses them abundantly. And do you know what that is? Joseph is a picture of the unmerited favor that Jesus bestows upon who? Upon us. Forgiving those who have hated him. Forgetting the, forgiving those who have sinned against him. Forgetting those who have rebelled against him. And pouring unmerited favor upon them. That is what Jesus does for you and for me every single day of my life. Every single day of your life. Forgiveness freely given to those who have hated and wronged him and sinned against him. 
God gifted Joseph with incredible wisdom and discernment. And notice how Joseph uses it. What does he do with all the power, with all the wisdom, with all the discernment, with all the wealth that God gave him? What does he do with it? He uses it to forgive, to restore, and to build up those who have wronged him. This is the mark of a godly man. This is the mark of our Savior Jesus. And this is the mark of all those who walk with Jesus. Using the power and the authority and the wisdom that God gave you to forgive, to restore, and to build up. Say it with me. To forgive, to restore, and to build up. Say it one more time loudly. To forgive, to restore, and to build up. This is why God blesses you. So that you can forgive and restore and build up. Joseph has worked tirelessly to have a deep and meaningful relationship with him, just as Jesus has done for you. Orchestrating life to bring you into the understanding of who he is, that you might see him with all his love, his grace, and his mercy as he pours forgiveness upon you. Wow. I want you to know, Joseph could have easily said, Here's your grain. Now get out of here. But that was not the heart of God. And Joseph says, no, 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 no. Guys, I want you to know. It was God who brought, brought me here. You didn't do this. God did this. And God was using you in all of this. You're important to God. You're the Abrahamic covenant. You are the ones that God has his favor is on you, and, and God, you meant all this for evil, but God meant it for good to, be, to save you and to save the whole world. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I want to leave you with a, a couple more things. We've had this list of how Joseph is a foreshadow, a prophetic foreshadow of Jesus and Israel, right? And this is this long list, and we've got some new things to add to it today. Uh, here's what we want to add. Uh, put that next slide up for me. Check this out. This is amazing. Joseph's life is a prophecy about Jesus and Israel. Israel did not recognize the Savior King at the first coming, but their eyes are opened to recognize him as the Savior King at the second coming. Oh, my goodness. A picture of Jesus and Israel, the Jewish people. They did not recognize him at the first coming. They will recognize him at the second coming. How incredibly powerful. Uh, during the seven-year tribulation, Jesus is going to reconcile Israel to himself. He's going to remove their spiritual blindness. And they will see that their kinsman, their brother, this Jewish Messiah is the ruler of all the earth, and their eyes will be opened. One more quick verse for you on your screens. This is Zechariah chapter 12, a phenomenal prophecy. Take a look at this. It shall be in that day that I shall seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. What day is that? That's during the seven-year tribulation period. All the world will go against Israel. And God says, I will defend you. I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against you in that seven-year tribulation period. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace 
and supplication. What did Joseph just pour upon his brothers? Brothers, it's okay. I love you. You're forgiven. Nothing but grace and supplication. And they will look on me, whom they pierced. Oh my gosh, whom they what? Pierce. Who did they pierce? This was written centuries before Jesus went to the cross. Rest of the verse. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Their eyes will be opened and they will see uh, Joseph as he, Jesus as he really is. Uh, Israel did not recognize the Savior King at the first coming, but their eyes were opened to him at the second coming. And so it is with the nation Israel. Uh, the second thing that we see is forgiveness is freely given to those who hated and wronged him. If you'll put that slide up there for me. Uh, Joseph, uh, his brothers hated him, sinned against him, and forgiveness given freely. Jesus, the same thing to us and to the nation Israel. And then uh, thirdly, the evil that his brothers Israel intended, God used for good to save all. Uh, happened for Joseph, happened for Jesus. What evil did they intend on Jesus? Killing him. And God used it for good to save all. Uh, what an amazing prophetic story we are reading. I marvel at God's word and his ability to bring into this tapestry that he weaves together, all pointing towards Jesus. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.